This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. You're listening to a clip of Bad Advice from Todd and the Bad Ideas. These rockers from Columbus are featured Ohio musical artists tonight. So hang out with us to the end of the podcast. We'll tell you all about them and let you listen to that entire song. But right now, let's throw another log on the fire, campers. Let's dig up a new Ohio mystery. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with me is our award-winning journalist, Paula Schleiss, who spent 30 years telling these kinds of stories for the Acker Beacon Journal. Hi, everybody. Hey, Steve, have you ever heard of the Mothman? Yes, I haven't really gone into depth with it, but yeah, I, I have heard of the Mothman. Well, Ohio is home to lots of stories about mysterious creatures. We've done episodes on the Bigfoot, known as the Minerva Monster, and another called the Kenmore Grassman. We've done the Crosswick Monster, which I like, because clearly that was without a doubt a real thing, whatever it was. We've done Bessie, the Lake Erie Monster, those melon heads up in Kirtland, even the frogmen, those short lizard-like figures that startled the folks in Loveland, Ohio. But to my knowledge, and correct me if I'm wrong here, none of those legends are actually connected with death. Scary things, to be sure, but not with violent, bloody reputations. That unique distinction in Ohio belongs to the Mothman, a creature that some believe came to Point Pleasant, West Virginia, and Gallipolis, Ohio, two sister cities connected by a bridge over the Ohio River as the harbinger of a horrific bridge collapse that would end the lives of nearly 50 people. This notion led to the book The Mothman Prophecies and a movie of the same name that actor Richard Gere brought to the screen in 2002. But let's go back to where it all started the year 1966. The first sighting was November 12 that year. It actually happened about an hour from Point Pleasant in a West Virginia town called Clendenin. And five men were digging a grave of all things to be doing when a figure swooping in the air above them gets their attention. It's larger than anything they had ever seen in the sky, 
with a body that even looked a bit man-shaped. It flew low over the trees just above their heads. It startled them. But they probably wouldn't have bothered sharing the story widely if it weren't for a story that made headlines three days later. That was a story from Point Pleasant. Two young couples, Roger and Linda Scarberry and Stephen Mary Mallet, were in a car when their headlights illuminated a large flying creature that seemed to be keeping pace with them, even when they sped up to nearly 100 miles per hour. They were on the outskirts of town at the McClintic Wildlife Station, a marshy conservation area filled with fishing and waterfall ponds and traversed by dirt or aging blacktop roads. The locals nicknamed this stretch the TNT area because it was the site of a former World War II munitions plant. It was a favorite spot for young lovers. Now, the two couples could hardly believe what they were seeing. Linda Scarberry even let out a scream. They didn't call it a Mothman. They described skin of gray, eyes that glowed red, a man-shaped body of perhaps seven feet, and two enormous wings, maybe 10 feet long. The foursome sped straight to the Mason County Sheriff's Office to report what they'd just experienced. And on November 16, 1966, a headline in the Point Pleasant Register said, Couples see man-sized bird, dot, 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 creature, dot, 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 something. And that headline intrigued the national press because this story spread like wildfire. It was a copy editor in Ohio that dubbed the creature The Mothman. This was the era when the TV show The Batman was very popular, so the name stuck. The lovers who used to park in the TNT area had to find another place to go necking because this area quickly filled with gun-toting explorers hoping to bag the creature. Over the next few days, more people spotted this thing. Two firemen, Captain Paul Yoder, no doubt a distant cousin of yours, Steve, and Benjamin Enox saw it and said it looked to them like an extraordinarily large bird with red eyes. Contractor Newell Partridge said when he aimed a flashlight at a creature in a nearby field, its eyes glowed like bicycle reflectors. He blamed buzzing noises from his television set and the disappearance of his German shepherd on the creature. The Mothman was just as busy, if not more, on the other side of the river in Ohio. On November 17, the day after those two couples saw it, a teenage boy reported to police he saw a gray, man-shaped, 10-foot-tall creature with red eyes while he was driving on Route 7 near Cheshire, Ohio. The thing spread its wings and pursued the car he was in. This thing was not going away. On December 4, 1966, five pilots at the Gallipolis Airport saw what they thought at first was an airplane going 70 miles per hour. Then all five clearly said it appeared to be a large bird with a long neck. 
On December 7, 1966, more eyewitnesses, four women driving along Route 33 in Ohio when they spied a brownish-silver, man-shaped, flying creature with glowing red eyes. It was only a matter of days before experts jumped in and said, okay, we've got this thing figured out. Wildlife biologist Dr. Robert L. Smith at West Virginia University told reporters he thought it was a sandhill crane. That's the second largest crane in America with specimens that could be as tall as a small adult with a seven-foot wingspan. And here was a giveaway. This crane featured circles of reddish coloring around the eyes. The bird was not native to the region. It was rarely seen east of the Mississippi River, so locals wouldn't have known what it was. There was every reason to be startled by its appearance. Smith said the most likely story was that this single bird had wandered out of its migration route from Canada to Southern California. Maybe it split off from its friends and followed migrating geese that were headed to that wildlife station. Frankly, a whole lot of people were satisfied with that conclusion, and that probably would have been the end of the story if it weren't for a tragedy that turned this story into an urban legend. The sightings of this strange bird continued for another year. At least another 100 reports were made, and that lured to town a man who wanted to write about it. His name was John Keel, and he started doing interviews around the time of Thanksgiving in 1967. He concluded that the tales of the Mothman had left a dark shadow over the area. People were talking about the creature in demonic terms. Some refused to talk about it at all. Linda Scarberry, who was in one of the two couples who made those initial headlines, she said it broke up her marriage. Still others added the appearance of strange lights in the sky and UFO encounters to the tale. While exploring the Mothman for his book, Keel spent a lot of time with Mary Heyer. She was a newspaper reporter who covered the Point Pleasant area for the Athens Messenger in Athens, Ohio. She had been covering the Mothman stories for a year, and when Keel came to visit on November 19, 1967, this is what she told him. I had a terrible nightmare. There were a lot of people drowning in the river, and Christmas packages were floating everywhere in the water. It's like something awful is going to happen. And Mary Heyer, she wasn't the only one. Others had told Kill they were having nightmares that involved people dying in the waters of the Ohio River. The month after these interviews, the unthinkable happened. Point Pleasant, West Virginia, is connected to Gallipolis, Ohio, then by a bridge called the Silver Bridge. It was made of aluminum, which gave it its name. It was built in 1928, and it changed the life of this area. There were no other bridges nearby. It was of tremendous social and commercial value to communities throughout this area that had otherwise depended on ferries to get across the river. But the Silver Bridge was never designed to carry the load 
that it was being asked to carry now in 1967, and it had been poorly maintained. A small defect in the bridge turned into a fatal failure, and on December 15, 1967, a corroded eyebar on the Ohio side of the river broke and the bridge collapsed. This didn't happen on a weekend or in the evening or in the early morning. It happened on a weekday at 5.05 p.m. in the middle of rush hour and at the peak of Christmas shopping season. The bridge dropped 31 vehicles into the frigid Ohio River, killing 46 of the 64 people who went down with them. Two bodies were never recovered. It was the worst roadway bridge disaster in America up until that time. This was when people started seeing the Mothman as an omen of doom. Had it come to prophesize the collapse of the Silver Bridge? John Kill played with that idea in his 1975 book, The Mothman Prophecies, a fictional story that takes place in the very real Point Pleasant and uses the very real stories of Mothman sightings. And suddenly, small towns all over the world develop their own Mothman legends, associating tragedies where they attempted to identify their own Mothman as a supernatural harbinger. Now, it's worth noting that the Wyandotte Indians of old also had tales of a mysterious bird, and some of those legends were in Ohio. I found some information from them in a book from 2004 called Thunderbirds, America's Living Legends of Giant Birds by author Mark Hall. Wyandots talked about something they called flying heads. They were particularly troublesome during rainy, foggy, or misty weather when they could approach a village unseen and cause destruction or illness. More extreme versions of the flying heads painted them as vampires who devoured people or carried away children or caused blight on the crops. Even at the beginning of the last century, there were stories about unidentified large birds with wingspans of 12 feet flying through the Ohio River Valley. During World War I, some folks in Gallipolis started calling the creature Birdman, and there was enough concern that local residents kept their children inside whenever they heard about Birdman sightings. After World War II, people reported being chased by a huge bird while traveling the highways near the Ohio River. So there you go. There is plenty of evidence that the Mothman wasn't the first or the last strange creature sighted in this area of Ohio, but he is definitely the most famous. If you want to see a Mothman, you can visit Point Pleasant. They have a 12-foot-tall metallic statue of the creature created by artist and sculptor Bob Roach in 2003. This town really celebrates the legend. They've got a Mothman Museum and Research Center that opened in 2005, and they usually have a Mothman Festival every year. So what are you thinking at this point, Steve? You know, I've uh, heard of the Mothman prophecies before, like with Art Bell and stuff, and I just pass it up because, you know, I'm not that much into cryptoids, but dang, I shouldn't have. This is very interesting. I didn't know it had to do with Christmas, the presents going down the water. That's pretty cool. 
it's very chilling what happened with those nightmares and what ended up happening. But I got to share this with you because whether or not you believe in the Mothman, I do understand how the legend was born. I was watching a Weather Channel program just recently, and they showed a video that was taken about five years ago over Idaho, and it showed a bird that nobody could identify. Even if you don't know your birds, it was pretty obvious this one was special. It had this long crest on the back of its head, an enormous wingspan, and these really pronounced ribs on its wings. Some folks wondered if it was mechanical. Others said, you know, gosh, it looks like a pterodon, you know, a holdover from the dinosaur age. They couldn't find any experts that could identify it. So when I saw that, I immediately got this Mothman story in my head. You know, if you can't identify what you see, by definition, you've got a mysterious creature on your hands. Well, I hear we have a special guest for our armchair detective segment tonight, a man who has spent plenty of years researching the Mothman. So let's find out what he thinks. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Well, joining us tonight, we have Cameron Jones from Circleville, Ohio, a uh, expert in the Mothman legend. How are you doing, Cameron? Hello. Hey, I'm doing good. Nice to talk to you. Oh, nice to have you on with us. You know, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about uh, yourself and your connection to the Mothman? Sure. Like you said, my name is Cameron Jones. I um, live in Circleville, Ohio, just south of Columbus. I lived here all my life. I am a paranormal researcher and investigator. I also help run a UFO group here in Circleville, the Roundtown UFO Society. And I'm also active in uh, the Ohio uh, Bigfoot community. So I'm interested in a lot of different things. Basically, I've always had a fascination with strange and mysterious and if it falls under, you know, that kind of banner, then it's something I've, I'm interested in and involved with. <laughs> you know, the Mothman really intrigues me because of, I recounted this a little bit at the beginning of the podcast. You know, we've got lots of cryptid stories in Ohio, but rarely, if ever, are they associated with death? They're, they're scary because we don't know what they are and there are sightings of them. But the Mothman is really kind of unique and that he's associated with this very bloody tragedy. Yeah, definitely. I think there is a darker aspect to the Mothman legend than, say, com- compared to other, you know, cryptids. 
And just because the story of the Mothman is so intertwined with, you know, tragedy and and things. So, yeah, I, I definitely agree there. What do you think of the Mothman, just in terms of your belief? What do you think is going on there? I'm completely open to all of the possibilities. There's there's not one that stands out more than the others. So, yeah, there's there's something about the, the mystery behind the Mothman is, you know, what we're, are we talking about? you know, a genuine cryptid and that is a hidden or unknown animal. Are, are we talking about a misidentified animal, you know, like some of the, like that was put forward at the time of the sightings, you know, are we talking about, you know, an interdimensional being? That's, that's another one that's possible. Some people think Mothman is an angel. Some people think Mothman is a demon. So it's, it's real that, that aspect of the Mothman has always interested me and, I personally don't have one theory that I necessarily favor over the other, but I definitely, when I talk about Mothman, I discuss all the possibilities. And as far as the Sandhill Crane um, theory, I think it was completely acceptable at the time. I and mean, as to say, it was accepted by most of the people at the time, and it was just written off as that. But I think you talk to, when it comes to the actual witnesses, you know, like Linda, Linda and Roger Scarberry, the original witnesses, you ask people like that. And Linda will, you know, Linda said in interviews that this was, this was not a sandhill crane. This was not an owl. This was a creature that, that haunt, that terrified her and haunted her until the day she died. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that theory was put forward and it was accepted by many at the time, but I don't know of I don't know of any of the original witnesses who heard that theory and said, "Oh yeah, that, that it could have been a sandhill crane or or it could have been an owl standing on a tree limb, you know, and it looked tall." I don't remember ever hearing any of the witnesses say that they even entertained that theory, but it was accepted by many. Have you ever talked to somebody who says they saw it? I mean, some yeah. of those people could have been still alive. Have you? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I've I've talked, interviewed, had conversations with Faye DeWitt. She was one of the original Mothman witnesses back in um, 1966. She uh, is still she's Faye is still with us, and she she attends the Mothman Festival on occasion, and will and will tell her story. I've talked to her. Her uh, her specific story is my favorite. When I say favorite, in that I think it's one of the most interesting and uh, well documented of the encounters. And um, actually, a friend of mine, Linda Sigmund, is an original Mothman witness. Linda um, just kind of recently came out with her story. She was a teenager at the time in the mid '60s, and she. Uh, came out with her story. I mean, she she told us her friends, you know, many years ago, but she's kind of come out with her story. She was just recently on um, a TV show telling her story. So, again, her being a friend of mine, I've I've talked with Linda many times about her sighting. So, yes, I have, and I I did meet Linda Scarberry before she passed away, and I got to speak with her briefly about what she saw. So, I I have um, definitely talked to some witnesses. Now, you took a special trip just yesterday. It was your birthday. Happy birthday. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, Tell us what you did for your birthday. I was trying to decide what to do. I wanted to do something kind of fun, and I didn't just want to sit at home. And I thought, well, a friend of mine hadn't been to Point Pleasant in quite some time, and 
we decided to go down there. We thought it'd be a fun thing to do on my birthday. So we went down to we went down to Point Pleasant. We stopped by the museum, who's run of course it's run by my my good friend Jeff Wamsley and his daughter Ashley. And I got to take my friend there and he'd never been in the actual museum. So we went through there and we kind of went around the museum and talked about everything that happened and then of course, we visited the, the, the statue. It's something everybody has to do when they come. <laughs> Did you get your picture taken with it? Yeah, sure. Every Probably time many times. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the picture never changes. <laughs> yeah. We, we you know what? Uh, but we actually did. We, we rode out to the TNT area, of course, where the Mothman was famously seen, where the Mothman roamed. And we went out there and took a look around, and I showed my friends some of the areas where the Mothman was spotted uh, in the mid-60s. So it was really fun. And of course, when we went to the museum, we just had to wear our masks, and you know that was about it. So you know, it was a really fun day. I'm glad to know that it's open. So there's a fun day trip for anybody who is uh, you know, within driving distance of there, go on down. And is that museum open like throughout the week or yeah i'm i'm almost positive it's open just about every day i think it's uh 10 a.m to 5 p.m it's open and you can obviously check their mafia museum facebook or their website to double check on those hours but it's open it's open every day for our visitors and what would people find there Jeff is, of course, Jeff Wamsley, who created and runs the museum, is the world's top Mothman researcher, and he he has created the world's only and largest, <laughs> the largest but only Mothman museum that I'm aware of, and he, it is so amazing. Jeff is so knowledgeable on the Mothman, and he has, I mean, everything you can think of, there's he has all the original newspaper clippings that came out at the time with the sightings. He has maps and documents, recreations. There are scale models of some of the areas where the Mothman was seen. There's actual movie props from the Mothman Prophecies film, of course, which was shot. He had their life-size Mothmans. There's, when you walk in, there's Mothman documentaries playing on TVs around the location. There's a gift shop. And, of course, there's also information on all the things that are associated with the Mothman story, the men in black, the UFOs that were seen at the time, figures. There's an area about Mothman and pop culture, and you've got artwork, uh, just about anything, anything, anything and everything that has to do with, with the Mothman legend is there. And it's, it's really educational, and anybody who has even a passing interest in the Mothman, I think, would love the museum. What would be the the best thing to pick up at the gift shop? Everybody seems to want a Mothman T-shirt, and I, I, me too. Like I have probably three or four, but I bought a new one yesterday. So right. everybody goes to the museum and they they get a Mothman T-shirt. But oh, there's so many. Their gift shop is huge now. It's and they have so many cool things. There's Mothman books. There's uh, Mothman documentaries on DVD. There's uh, Mothman plush toys. You know, it's just something to provide people when they go there. Everybody wants to take home something to remember the trip. Now I have to ask you because in doing the research, I came across stories that talked about how other communities have kind of developed their own Mothman legends in their communities. You know, there was some kind of tragedy. Somebody saw something before. They've kind of adopted this idea of the Mothman prophecies. Did, do you know, I mean, did, was that a direct result of the movie 
And do you know anything about that just kind of being growing as an idea of, of this urban legend? You mean like be Chicago Mothman and Mothman seen in other parts of the world? Yeah. yeah I think I um, saw some stories where he was seen in Russia. And I was like, where are they, where are they mm-hmm. getting these stories from? I'm wondering if it's an outgrowth of that book. Well, you know, the the original book obviously caused a sensation, and the film really caused a sensation at the time. It really brought a lot of people interested in the Mothman. But um, there is this theory that Mothman was possibly this, um, you know, this this harbinger of of doom, or maybe he came to forewarn of tragedy. And of course, there are, there are reports of Mothman being seen places. It was. Mothman was allegedly seen before the the Chernobyl disaster in Russia. Mothman was supposedly seen before before and during the 9-11 events. And, of course, Mothman's allegedly been photographed in cities like Chicago. And so there is a question, there is a big question of, was Mothman, was Mothman, distinct and unique to this area in this time, Point Pleasant, West Virginia in the 1960s, or is, or is Mothman a global phenomenon? Does, is a Mothman honestly uh, appeared in other places and other times? And that's a huge question. And I, if I hear of a, whenever I hear of a new Mothman story, you know, I heard about a Mothman being seen up in Washington state and, you know, I kind of read as much as I could about it. So I think it, it's possible, and I can't say for sure if, if, if those sightings outside of Point Pleasant are legitimate or not, but they are of interest to me. Yeah. Now, I understand uh, in non-pandemic years, you do a lot of talks, travel around the state, and uh, share your research. Is there, you know, until we can get back to those days and Mm -hmm. actually come out and visit you, do you keep any of your research or blogs or anything like that on the Internet that our listeners could go find you? I'm very active. I'm most active on, on Twitter and I, I, I discuss um, all of the, the uh, subjects that I'm interested in and investigate, of course, Mothman being a huge one of those. And I am on Facebook, Cameron Jones. I do not have a blog, but I've been thinking about that for years and years, that, may, that maybe I should do that. Especially now, as you mentioned, that my presentations have all been canceled or postponed because of the uh, pandemic. I was I just started a Mothman kind of lecture tour earlier this this year, early spring, right as the pandemic hit. So uh, that has kind of turned into a series of podcasts. So I was really happy when you invited me on the podcast because I was able to to do my little Mothman things like this because I, I really, really love talking about the Mothman. It's something I'm really passionate about. If anybody's interested in anything I've done or, or what I'm involved with now, they can look me up on Twitter at para. P-A-R-A underscore mystery, paramystery. And, uh, of course, I'm also on Facebook, Cameron Jones. That's awesome. We will link to all of that and make sure folks can find you. So, Cameron, why did the Mothman come at all? Why did why did he pay this visit to Gallipolis and uh, Point Pleasant? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's one that I get a lot at my talks. And we touched on um, the theory that it was Mothman a harbinger of doom. Does Mothman possibly come to forewarn of a coming tragedy as, you know, the Mothman signs in Point Pleasant and seem to end abruptly 
um, with the collapse of the Silver Bridge in December of 67. And um, I, of course, I don't have an answer for sure of that, but I've often wondered that maybe Mothman's presence, if not to forewarn or if not, if not to foretell or warn of a coming event or tragedy, is simply to bear witness. And it's something that, that, that possibly could be why he's seen before these, for these events. But yeah, that, that's, that's my little theory. So that would make the Mothman a watchman. Yeah, possibly. (laughs) All right. Very interesting. Cameron, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. We're going to link to your social media site so people can find you and uh, follow whatever you're pursuing at the time. Like you said, not just Mothman, but you're uh, researching UFO and other cryptid encounters. And so it sounds like a whole lot of good stuff there to look at. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I love talking about the Mothman, and I just had a lot of fun. That's it for tonight, listeners, for photos, news, clippings, and more. On this and every episode, hop on over to our website, ohiomysteries.com. And now about tonight's featured Ohio musical artist. Todd and the Bad Ideas is a straight-up rock and roll band from Columbus, comprised of Todd Greer on bass and vocals, Keith Cousineau on rhythm guitar, Mark Brennan at drums, and Jay Ensminger on lead guitar. Todd told me, We're four guys having a lot of fun writing and playing the kind of rock and roll we love to hear, and it's been really exciting to see how many people out there enjoy what we're doing. I like to say that you'll find your next favorite song on one of our albums. The band is currently in the studio recording their fourth album, and tonight we're featuring a song they released this year called Bad Advice, a song about growing up and growing apart, but knowing the best is still to come. Learn more about these guys at their website, toddandthebadideas.com, and follow them on Facebook. Well, let's have another listen to Bad Advice by Todd and the Bad Ideas. And we'll see you here next week for another episode of Ohio Mysteries.
I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of the new Medal of Honor podcast from Evergreen Podcasts, brought to you in partnership with the National Medal of Honor Museum. In each three-minute episode, we'll learn about a different service member who distinguished him or herself through an act of valor. We'll include stories from the Civil War to Iraq and Afghanistan, and from all branches of the military. We'll talk about service members who were overlooked for the medal at first due to their race or religion, and about those who were celebrated at the time. We'll hear stories of soldiers like Audie Murphy, future Hollywood star who mounted a burning tank to hold off German infantry in World War II. And people like Dr. Mary Edwards Walker, a Civil War Army doctor and the only woman to receive the Medal of Honor so far. Learn about these heroes and more wherever you get your podcasts.